If you've been with us the last few months when I've been up here, uh, you'll know we've been in Philippians a bit. And today we're going to have, for now, our final foray into Philippians. It's our fourth foray into Philippians 2. And so we're going to have our final bit of fun in Philippians. And I'll stop alliterating, or pseudo-alliterating. It's a PH, it's not an F. Anyway, we've seen over previous times, if you have been here, that in Philippians chapter 2, while starting just at the end of chapter 1, Paul gives an incredible encouragement to the Philippian church. Uh, We see that he starts it off, he's encouraging them to live lives worthy, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he goes on to kind of expound that a bit. And we've looked at so far, kind of the, the kind of the meat in the middle of this passage. And so over different times, we've looked at Paul encouraging them and encouraging us to be united, to be a humble people, to learn from what Jesus has done for us, to see his example and to say, yeah, he stepped down. He didn't take, he didn't take his position and use it to his advantage. No, he came to us. He was so humble to see that example and to be like that with each other, to, to look out for each other's needs. We've also looked at how he encourages them and us to work out their salvation, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. How, as we looked at that, we saw, if you were here, how we look to become more and more like Christ. As I was saying, in both of those, we've seen how how important it is to see the centrality of what Jesus has done for us in that. We're not just doing this as some kind of effort to try and to try and make ourselves acceptable. No, we're doing things out of love for Christ and what he has done for us, out of what he has brought us into. And last time we saw uh, Paul's encouragement to do everything without complaining or arguing. We're going to pick up just at the end of that uh, that encouragement. And we saw that actually, rather than resorting, giving in to fear and resorting to grumbling and trembling, we're to fix our eyes on him because he will see us through. So this time, if you have been here before, this will be kind of like a wrap up of the whole passage. We're going to look at the beginning and the end, if you like, and bookend it. If you haven't been here, that kind of covers everything. So it's all okay. So we're going to wrap up by looking at the beginning and the end. We're going to read the whole passage. So we're going to start at chapter 1, verse 27. And at this point in my notes, my daughter Anna has been very helpful to me by reminding me very clearly that I need to read the passage. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, 
being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Okay, so we've read, that's the whole, the whole of this kind of encouragement that kind of comes as one block. And what we're going to look at today is, we've looked at some of the specifics. What is Paul encouraging them to do? What does it mean to do that? But what is, what we're looking at today is, what is Paul wanting to see? What is it that he's, why does he bring this big encouragement? What is he wanting to see the Philippians doing? What is it that he wants to, what big picture is it that he wants to see? And I think I've got three S's today that I believe Paul wants them and us to be and to see. So the first S is he calls them to stand firm. Secondly, we'll move on to the fact that he wants them to shine like stars. And at the end, he also wants them to see a heavenly perspective. I think that's why Paul brings this encouragement. So we're going to start in verse 27. And what we see there is that Paul's, Paul's kind of immediate concern is that they stand firm. In the, he, he sees the trouble that they're facing around them. He sees that there are those who oppose you in uh, Verse 28, he says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, he knows that they will have trouble. He knows that there will be some who oppose them. And we, we know this because Jesus said it to his disciples. So in John chapter 15, we read this. John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant's greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, 
for they do not know the one who sent me. And we can read that and we can see that Jesus, Jesus is, is telling his disciples, actually, you're going to face some tough stuff because you're in a world that doesn't know me, doesn't know Jesus. And you're not of that world anymore. And Paul in, similarly is encouraging, the, is encouraging the Philippians to stand firm because you're going to face opposition. In fact, you are now, but that's because you belong to Jesus. It's because you belong to Jesus. We know, if we know Christ, that's what happened. He has brought us out of the world to be his, to be united with him. And yet we're still in the world. And Jesus says that therefore the world, there will be some who oppose you. There will be some who hate you because they hate me. They hate Jesus. And we can see that today, whether that be, whether that be in subtle things like shifting, shifting of government policy or the general kind of shift in society towards more and more, a more and more secular society, or whether it be more direct opposition, perhaps at work, perhaps you're in a work situation where actually if you even mention Jesus, then there'll be trouble. Whether that's just comments back or whether that's actually in terms of disciplinary measures at work, or you're just not allowed to do that, you can't do it. There is opposition. As Paul says, there will be those who oppose you. But what we see from Paul's great encouragement here, what he is looking to see is a people who stand firm. But this isn't a stoical kind of battling on alone, kind of, no, no, I'm going to keep upright. What Paul says is, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel and you will stand firm in one spirit. You'll contend as one man. Jesus also said in John 16, just further on, he doesn't leave it with that kind of just, actually you're going to face really hard trouble. The world world will hate you. He goes on to say that he will give them the Holy Spirit, that he will give us the Holy Spirit. And then further on, in chapter 16, right towards the end of chapter 16 in John, uh, verse, in fact, the very last verse, he says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Paul's great encouragement in Philippians, he's reminding them, you will have trouble, but actually stand firm in Christ, stand firm together as one in Christ, because he's overcome the world, because he is greater. We've been singing so much of that already. Today, we're singing it in that song just now, there is no power in hell or any who can stand before the power of Of the great I am. And actually what we see in this, Paul is encouraging them to stand firm, not on their own, not kind of out on a limb, but secure in Christ and standing together. That's what he goes on to unpack in the rest of this passage. He goes on to say, actually, as we go after God, as we go on working out our salvation, out of the encouragement of being united with him, we have his spirit in us. And we are to be a united people. 
Humbly looking out for one another. We're not just kind of, oh, this is my battle I've got to face. This is my, I've got to stand firm somehow and I'm on my own. No, we're in Christ and we're in a body. We're standing firm together. And in that, we're living out lives. We're living out lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. So we're standing firm together. We're praying for one another. We're reminding each other of this truth that we stand in. We don't, we're not just kind of, oh, what Paul said, stand firm. No, we're standing firm because there's something to stand firm on. We have the truth of the gospel. That's why we're living lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. Not just good lives, but lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul's seeing a people standing firm together. He's seeing a people who are secure in the knowledge of the truth. So, in Romans chapter 8, let's get some great truth. Paul knows we'll see trouble. Paul knows the Philippians are facing trouble. They're facing opposition. But he tells them to stand firm. And then, relying on the knowledge of truth like this, Watch Romans 8.31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's encouraging them and us to stand firm. And he goes on to say all that he does because he knows that the way we stand firm is by trusting in his word, The way we stand firm is by encouraging and supporting each other in remembering the truth and trusting in him. So Paul, first, he wants the people standing firm for the faith of the gospel. But secondly, Paul's not kind of just envisaging a kind of, just a kind of rearguard effort, a kind of, okay, we're standing firm just about, but everything's coming this way and we're just kind of making sure we don't give in. He sees more than that. He's believing for more than that. He knows that there is more truth than that. Let's turn to the other end of the Philippians passage, chapter 2, verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. 
Paul's not just looking for a people who stand firm in the face of opposition from a warped and crooked generation or the people who oppose them, but a people who shine out like stars, holding out the word of life. We're going to unpack this a little bit and look at, well, what, does it, what does it mean? How do we shine like stars? And Paul's phrase here in Philippians uh, 2.15 uh, is actually a very, a very stark mirror against a verse in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 32, Moses is at the end of his life. Moses is, uh, he's going to die. They've been wandering in the desert for 40 years. And God said, well, you're going to go into the promised land, but Moses, you're not going to get there. Joseph, Joseph, Joshua is going to lead them in. And God gives Moses this great prophecy of what is going to happen. And he said, yes, they're going to go in. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to get them in. But they are going to fall. They're going to fail. They're going to rebel. And so I'm going to read Deuteronomy 32, 4 and 5. I'm going to read it from the ESV just because of the the specific comparison of words with Philippians 2. It says the same in the NIV. It's just slightly different specific words. So Deuteronomy 32, 4. He is the rock. That's God. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. They've dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. And then Philippians 2.15. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. There's a, a very stark comparison of how God is, com- is describing the Israelites in Deuteronomy. And then now how Paul is speaking into the Philippians. We see where they were no longer his children. Paul calls the Philippians children of God. Where the Israelites sin it, no, they're blemished. No, you are without blemish. They're a crooked and twisted generation. No, no, you're not a crooked and twisted generation. You are in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And you are to shine like stars. So we see a complete kind of turning around. We see God was prophesying over the Israelites. No, you're going to fall and you're going to be like this. You're going to be, I'm no longer going to be able to call you my children. You're going to be a twisted and crooked generation. And now the Philippians have been said, now you can be children of God without blemish. But again, here we can get worried and ask, actually, what is the difference between these two? And how are they different? What, what does this mean then? We look at the verse and we say, do everything without complaining or arguing, that you may become blameless and pure children of God. And we can think, oh, hang on a minute. Is Paul just saying, try very hard and you won't end up like the Israelites. Try very hard and you may one day earn the chance to be children of God. You may rack up enough brownie points. We kind of keep coming back to this. This is, is this what it's all about? 
Is it that the Israelites didn't manage? They, we know, they failed. They, they couldn't keep the law. They couldn't keep following God in the way they promised that they would. And we can see in Philippians 2, you think, if Paul's calling us to do the same, to try and fail, to succeed where they failed, we can see it. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Work out your salvation. Live lives worthy. Is that what he's saying? No. No. What is the difference? Isaiah 53, verse 8. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his, to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And we've heard it already in worship today. We've heard, we've, we've sung out, I hear my king declaring, Father, that debt is paid. We've heard Gav praying out that wonderful prayer. No, it's by grace and grace alone. What's the difference? Jesus. Paul's not calling the Philippians to kind of earn their way in to this. He's saying, do all this. Live for God. Live for him. Do everything without complaining or arguing that you will show more and more that this is what he has done for you. That you will show that he has saved you. That he has brought you in. Because left to our own devices, our own efforts, we fail just as badly as the Israelites did. Like the Israelites, we fall short and we're blemished. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But what Paul is calling the Philippians and us too is to live lives worthy of the gospel. He goes on to say, if you have been any encouragement from being united with Christ, again, this is all coming out of what he has done for us. This is not our endeavour to try and make a way. Our endeavour to be, to be better than the Israelites were. To be, to somehow earn the right to be children of God. No. Jesus has made us children of God. He died for us. He stepped down. He's taken our punishment. He's taken our sin. He's taken our iniquities, as that verse in Isaiah says. He's made us without blemish. He's brought us into his family. We are children of God. And so out of that, out of that love that he has shown us, out of what he has done, out of the position he has put us in, we live lives worthy of the gospel. And by his work in us, we reveal more and more what it is that he has done. And so shine like stars in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation, a crooked and twisted generation. So the second thing Paul is seeing are people who shine out to the world around them. And it's an interesting phrase. We are to shine like stars. And that kind of makes sense. Stars shine because of what they are. They are stars. That's what they do. And in looking at this, I was drawn to the comparing the sun and the moon. We see both of them shining in the sky... But the sun is a star, and the moon is a lump of rock. People probably say it's a bit more complicated than just a lump of rock, but anyway. It's a lump of rock in the sky. And we see the moon shining as it reflects, actually pretty badly, I hear, the light of the sun. But the sun is so powerful that it, we see the moon, the sunlight reflecting off the moon. 
But we see the sun shining because at its core there's a massive nuclear fusion reaction going on where hydrogen atoms are being doing something to become helium atoms and lots of energy is released. That's a really good science lesson there, isn't it? Is that good enough? Anyway, there's a big reaction going on in it and so loads of energy is released and so it shines out because of what's going on inside. And it can be tempting to see ourselves as the moon. We're just a lump of rock. And in a sense, that's true. We're just us. There's nothing inherent about us. But as we carry on that analogy, we get to the point where actually we're a lump of rock trying our best to reflect the light of this sun that's shining on us. And actually, the only thing that will change that is actually if we tidy up the surface a bit more, if we shine up our surface and kind of think, I can look as good as I can, then I'll reflect more. That's not actually what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying try your best to look as good as you can so that then you're as shiny and reflective as you can be so that God's light will reflect off you. Actually, what he says is to shine like stars. And we can shine like stars because of what we have in us. What we have in us is Jesus. He has put his Holy Spirit in us. If we have come to know him, we've come, we've been saved by him, he has put his light in us. We see in John, in John 1, as Jesus is kind of introducing the gospel gospel of John, says that Jesus came into the world as the true light that gives light to every man. Jesus describes himself in John chapter 8 as the light of the world. But then in Matthew 5, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And why? Because he is in us. He has put his light in us. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And ourselves ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So in fact, we're not a lump of rock like the moon. Actually, we're a jar of clay with his light inside. And so we can shine like stars. We shine by being who he has made us to be. That's what Paul's getting at in this whole passage. He's saying, live lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Go on doing it. Go after him. Continue to work out your salvation so that you may shine like stars. So that you may shine like stars. In a sense, we can kind of reduce it to thinking, actually, if we're going to shine out in the world, that's all about... That's all about us standing on a platform and preaching. Or that's all about us kind of doing some very good things that people will say, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Now, some of those things are all good. We want to preach the word of God. We want to talk to our friends. We want to do good deeds. We want to be active in doing what God has called us to do. 
But what Paul is saying here, we shine primarily because we're living for him. Because we're becoming more like him. Because we're keeping at our core what is important. That's his word, his light, his spirit in us. That verse in Matthew 5, that Jesus describes his disciples as the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14. It goes on to say this, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. What Paul is seeing, he wants to see a people shining in the world. He wants to see a people who are so set on going after God, on living for him, on becoming more like him, that they're not hiding their light away. That we're not, we're not, as it were, putting a bowl over our heads. We're not putting the lamp under a bowl, but we're revealing it. Because we're living for him. That's what is important. That's what we're doing. We're going after God. We're going after Jesus. We're working out our salvation. And in fact, the things that Paul mentions in here are ways that we can shine. As we're united together. In John 17, Jesus talks of this. John 17 and 22 I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Jesus is saying that as we become more and more united to him and united to each other, that in itself is shining out to the world. Dan read that passage about loving one another. Then we would know, then they will know that we are in him, that Jesus is Lord. As we trust him in all situations, as we stand firm, we are shining out in the world. Because we're trusting God. Oh, I see what you're facing, but how, what, what is it that's different? Oh, you're trusting God. You've got God. I've seen how you guys love one another. What is that all about? It's God at work. And so we shine out to those around us. So Paul sees a people who are standing firm, a people who are shining in the world around them. And Paul also sees a people who see a heavenly perspective. And Paul, Paul brings that to his attention because that's what he's got his eyes fixed on heaven. We see it here. He's got kind of one eye to the future. He can see, actually, this is where we're heading. He draws the Philippians' attention to it here in verse 16 uh, in this way. He says, as you hold out the word, you will shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. In this, Paul's revealing his heart. Paul, and, and in that, he's practicing what he preaches. Paul's 
encourage them to love one another, to look out for their, for each other's needs and, uh, to, to not go after just your own glory. In some ways, this verse could look like, actually, Paul, are you just looking for your own? Uh, when you stand there, I can boast, I did that. No. Paul's actually showing how much he cares for them. Actually, what Paul is looking for, that on that day, I will see that you have come through. That you have come through standing in glory. That's his heart. His heart is, he is his love. He has some, such a love for them and a commitment to them and a commitment to what Jesus wants him to do. A commitment to the, the kingdom of God. That he sees forward to that day. He's saying, actually, what I want to see on that day, what I want to boast in is that you are there. Also, not just that I stand there and I can say, oh yeah, I've I done well. No, I want to bring, I want you to be there as well. This is not a, you better keep going, otherwise you'll be letting me down message. I'll have laboured for nothing. Now actually, Paul is confident in God that he will complete the good work he started in the Philippians. He says that in chapter 1, verse 6. I'll start verse 3. In fact, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's confidence is in God, and Paul's confidence is that God will see them through. But Paul's, exp- Paul's expressing his heart that actually what I want to see is a people... Many people coming, heading for glory, heading for glory with me. Not just that I can kind of do a good job here and then I'll get there. No, Paul's heart is for the people that he's inputting into. He expresses his heart this way also to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19, in the end of another passage where he's just been saying, yes, I'm really for you, I'm, I'm pouring out my heart to you, I, I want you to really go for it. At the end of that, he says, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And again in Philippians, in chapter 4, verse 1, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. What Paul's expressing here is his heart. He's already said, make my joy complete by being united Now he kind of just transfers that onward to that final day. I want to see you there. This is what I'm longing for. I'm longing for you to press on to win the prize. And actually, I believe what Paul is wanting the Philippians to hear is actually wants them to have that same heart. This is what he's been kind of, he's kind of demonstrating what he has, what he's already been saying to them and kind of putting it in an eternal perspective. What he wants is for them Are you longing to see each other going for it? Are you longing to see each other pressing on until that final day when Jesus, when God will complete that work that he's done in you? He's going to carry it on. He's working in you. Is that what you're longing for? To all be stood there together. He wants them to love each other with that same heart. Do we have that heart for one another? Do we have that heart that says, actually... This is what I long for. That on that final day, you are going to, God's going to give you that well done. You can stand before the king and say, yes. You've run to win the prize. 
You've pressed on. You've come through. Paul wants us to have that same heart. He goes on kind of expounding that in Philippians 3.17. He comes back to it. And he's more specific in, in calling them to, to go for it in the same way. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live in according to the pattern we gave you. For as I've often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their minds on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. He's encouraging them to have this heart, this heart that is running after glory, but this heart that wants to bring others there too. So do we have that heart for one another? And kind of specifically, when talk to a specific group, lead, core group leaders, do you have that heart for your groups? Do you want to see these people who you, who you meet with, your family, going on, pressing on to win the prize, coming through to glory? Parents, do we have that heart for our children to see them going for it, to see them pressing on to win the prize? Paul's encouraging the Philippians and he's encouraging us. He's encouraging us that we're in Christ so we can go for it. He encourages us to stand firm, to shine out, and to see that actually where this is all heading. Paul knows that there is a world around the Philippians and a world around us, we know, that need a saviour. I said there was going to be three S's, but I think actually Paul draws us to a fourth. That actually all this is because of our spectacular saviour. And so Paul's given a massive encouragement. And in a sense, what I'm wanting to bring today is actually a wrap-up of all of that, that Paul and God is looking for a people who have their eyes fixed on him. Have their eyes fixed on him and, th- and therefore they shine out to the world around them. Therefore they stand firm. Whatever comes against us, whatever opposition, whatever it is, we can know, we can know in our hearts that we are safe in his arms. We are standing on the rock and he has overcome the world. He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. So what do we do? In a sense, Paul's focus in this whole passage is not actually on anything we specifically do in that sense, but it's all about what is our attitude? What is in our hearts? What is in our hearts? Are we, are we just going about seeking our own interests or are we seeking after God? Are we seeking our own interests or are we looking to the needs of others around us? He's not telling us, actually, what you need to do is read your Bible five times a day and pray every minute of the day and, and tell every person you meet about Jesus. 
There's obviously a lot of good in any of those things. What Paul's saying is actually fix your eyes on him. Fix your eyes on him. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That kind of encompasses everything. He doesn't say do everything without complaining or arguing. It's, it's encompassing everything. It's not a specific task or a specific, specific action. So what I want to encourage us today is that we have a spectacular saviour. We have an amazing king who reigns over everything. And so as Paul encourages the Philippians, we too can stand firm. We too can draw closer into him and therefore shine out to the world around us. And in all that, we can see that actually this isn't all there is. There is so much to come. God has big plans for us. And in all of it, God wants the people who are pressing into him, who are going after him, who are just on fire for him. We do it all remembering what he has done. We do it all knowing that we stand because of what he has done. We stand knowing that now, as, as Dave interpreted just before I got up, that now, now the words spoken over us are freedom, forgiveness, grace, liberty. And we can run after our saviour. We can run after Jesus and all that he has got for us, knowing that, yes, there will be things that come against us, but we can stand firm in his power and love. Let's pray.